Hello, friends, and welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. My name is Scott Cowan, and I'm the host of the show. Each episode, I have a conversation with an interesting guest who is living in or from Washington State. These are casual conversations with real and interesting people. I think you're going to like the show. So let's jump right in with today's guest. My guest today is Nancy Quasier. Nancy is a wine writer and marketer turning consumers onto Washington and Oregon wines. So Nancy, <laughs> first, first, come on, Oregon, this is all about Washington. Uh, anyway, I kid, I kid. So Nancy, welcome. Thank uh, you. When we talked earlier, you had alluded to the fact that your career prior to doing this was in HR. I can think of lots of reasons why somebody would want to get out of the HR business because I think, you know, anyway, no. But in all seriousness, you had a corporate career in HR and now you're uh, helping uh, wineries promote themselves across the Northwest, let's say. What was the motivation to take the jump? Uh, well, I had uh, a really bad year. <laughs> My uh, dad had uh, passed away from a fatal disease. And the company I worked for where I was doing HR at the time was doing massive layoffs. You might remember like around 2007, 2008. <laughs> yes, I do. And uh, yeah, so my weekends were spent emptying out my childhood home and the weekdays were spent letting people go who I developed working relationships with and genuinely liked. And so in all of that, I needed to somehow find joy again. And I kept seeing all these ads for the Northwest Wine Academy, which is a wine program down in South Seattle College. And, you know, seeing it time and time again, I thought, hmm, I think I need to check this out. So um, I gave them a call and discovered that Chef Lenny, who was one of my favorite restaurateurs, he used to have a fantastic restaurant up on Queen Anne Hill called Sapphire. He was one of the instructors and he would actually prepare food for these wine and food pairing classes. So I was like, oh, well, that sounds interesting. <laughs> and I was invited to sit in on a class one night and from that point on, I decided, okay, there's a way I have to figure out how to make this work and left corporate world behind. And here we are. Did you, so when you say you left corporate world, did you rip the bandaid off or were you, were you, was this a side hustle to start with? You know, that, that such a popular phrase these days, side hustle, but did you, did you make the clean break or did you try to do it in tandem for a little while? Well, I had, I actually asked my manager at the time if I could work part-time because I thought, okay, this will maybe help me get some energy back because, mm -hmm. you know, at the time I was like just never feeling like sleep restored me, nothing recharged my batteries. I just felt totally drained. And since we had done that for so many employees, you know, because we were pretty awesome HR team in, in my view. Okay. And uh, I thought, okay, maybe I can make that work. And he just said, no. He's like, someday I want you to be here and you won't. And I'll just be ticked off. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, there's my sign. I think I need to just part ways. <laughs> so you made the clean. Okay. All right. 
why wine? Were you a, a, a were you a wine enthusiast prior to the courses? I mean, what? I mean, see, like my thing is, you know, I would have like if there was a coffee course, I'd be taking it type thing. That's my thing. So, why <laughs> why wine? And how did you first get interested in wine? Uh, well, my husband and I had made some trips to. Uh, I think one of our first trips was down to Napa because, you know, that's where everybody kind of starts their wine journey, I think. And then uh, we started doing some trips locally, like we did Walla Walla. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, I just, wine and food always kind of called to me. You know, okay. I love dinner parties, sitting around the table with friends for hours on end. And, um, you know, and then as I mentioned, when I heard, one of my favorite chefs was teaching mm -hmm. one of the classes. It just kind of made me think, okay, okay, let's, let's check it out a little more. But, you know, even when I was in HR, I wasn't your typical HR person. I would do open enrollment meetings, you know, those long, boring insurance meetings. Ugh. So I would do open enrollment with some high-end wine. I'd pour like some Leonetti, which is kind of a cult wine around Washington and bring in appetizers from one of the top local restaurants. So I was the only manager who had 100% attendance at all my events. I might have liked <laughs> corporate life better if I had worked there. I'm just, just putting that out there. Okay, all right, all right. So yeah. you started, so your wine journey started with the trip to Napa. So I am a big believer that Walla Walla is for wine and Napa is for auto parts. I That's what many say. I love That's that t-shirt. I love that t-shirt. <laughs> I just think it's funny. No, Napa's got, I mean, let's be honest. Napa's got some amazing, um, there's so much going on there. One of my, one of my good friends is really into wine and travels to Napa two or three times a year from, from where he lives at. And, uh, yeah, it just. But here's the thing with Washington wine, you get, great quality yeah but you don't have to pay nearly as much as you do for wine from napa right right so you started this course mm -hmm. now were you still working when you took the course or had you had you 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 were gainfully unemployed when you started the course correct okay so you started the course and what was the course supposed to prepare you for uh, so there are a few different tracks available at the school, and uh, I was interested in wine and food pairing. Okay. So that's uh, what started there. And then ultimately, I ended up also uh, leaning into wine marketing. Okay. So I've got certificates in both of those things. All right. And obviously, you did a good job when you were doing the, the HR meetings, and you, you figured that out. Okay. <laughs> so how long was the course? Oh my gosh. So, um, that one course, you know, oh. that was one quarter and then I, uh, bumped up the number of classes I was taking after that. Okay. Ultimately I ended up being in school, uh, about four years because not every class I wanted to take was available every quarter. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I did that, and then I um, started working in a little local shop. It was kind of like a Sir Tab. It was a kitchen shop, culinary mm -hmm. center where we offered uh, classes, 
And so we would have these great James Beard award-winning chefs come in and do these extraordinary cooking classes. And I got to pick out all the wine for that. And I was the wine buyer for the shop. Uh, so that was kind of the start of my, my wine career there. All right. What made you focus on Washington and <clears throat> wines? Why is she's pointing to off the camera? So I'm going to guess the husband. Okay. Why, Someone wh forgot I was doing this today. Oh, so so is, was it the husband that was the the impetus for Washington, Oregon focus, or what was the? No, once I started. Um taking a deeper dive into the wines here and meeting the winemakers and hearing the stories and meeting people actually in school who were, you know, starting to go down their own journeys right. down this path to start to make their own wines and open their own wineries. Uh, it just got me really interested in, in like the smaller local wineries. Okay. Um, and Oregon, the, the charm there is that they do, a lot of Pinot Noir really well. And mm -hmm. I love Washington wine, don't get me wrong, but Pinot just really doesn't grow that well. <laughs> okay, well, no, hey, that's, that's look, look as, as much as I kid about Oregon, and I, I, I they, there are things that, there are things that regions can do better than other regions. Let's just, let's just be fair about that. So, it is the same like with fruits and veggies, right? You right, know? exactly. We we would not be known for our avocados here in Washington State. Let's just <laughs> let's just put it that way, you know. So, uh, all right. What? So when we talked on the phone the other day, this is completely well. It's relevant, but it's completely out of left field. So you had mentioned uh, Central Washington had a wine program. Are you you? You thought that they did. And I was like, I'm not sure that they do. I immediately saw something online about Central Washington's wine program. And Central Washington University has a wine program. It's almost like like Google was listening. It was creepy. But so when you think about when you think about though the educational components of of, of the industry now, I mean WSU's got a, a really large and well established program. Um, the community college in Tri Cities has a program. Central Washington University, South Seattle. Wine is becoming a a very large product offering from the state of Washington. Mm -hmm. And it is becoming more universally acknowledged as being good wine. Oh, yeah. It's okay. great wine. Right. So full disclosure, I'm not a big... I don't have the palate for wine. Okay. Um, and that's fine. I like, I mean, I, I'll, I'll have a glass of wine, but it's by no means am I going to be able to debate with you the intricacies of, of, of a wine. But what I do find fascinating is how the state has positioned itself and, it, and is continuing to position itself as a region of exceptional wines Mm -hmm. And within the state, even there's different divisions of, are, is it AVA? Is that what I'm, is that the right word? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Those are the regions. The region, yeah. right. And so, the, you know, those are becoming more, if I'm aware of it, it has to be very aware. I mean, it's like, I'm not studying this topic. So putting you on the spot, completely on the spot here. 
Where's your favorite region for wine in the state of Washington? I said region, oh, so I gave so you a, I gave you a big area. I could have said winery, but I gave you a region. What's, yeah. Where Where do you for you for your palate? What do you What do you like? You know, it kind of since we're very much wine with food people here in our house, mm-hmm. it kind of depends on you know, like we always pick a wine based on what we're having for dinner okay. or the season, you know, because what we have for dinner is. Right. impacted by you Absolutely. Know, weather and that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, but let one me, thing. We- let me say it's summertime. So your, your, uh-huh. your, your menu is going to be summertime. So what, what's, you know, what's going on at the house for meals in summer, and then you're going to pair it with wine. What region might that wine be coming from? Oh, it's going to vary greatly, but a lot of it, we do a lot of, um, when the hubby's doing his big barbecue and mm-hmm. thing, uh, you know, we'll grab for Syrah or something like that. Um, gosh, every region offers something so great. Like there's Walla Walla has like really, really incredible wines. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, one winery uh, in Natchez Heights, uh, Willridge Winery. He's got some really geeky varieties. Like he's got Spiegelt and like, you just never see that anywhere else around here. Um, And in the summertime, I love that for a red wine because it's on the lighter side. It's not too heavy. It's a little lower in alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, We drink a lot of bubbles in our household. Okay. Every Monday, we call it Musso Monday because that's kind of a French term for bubbles. <laughs> and our philosophy is if you start Monday off with bubbles, it just sets the tone for the whole week. <laughs> I think that's a philosophy that we, well, we should adopt. I like that. Okay. So, so like, we'll just do, we'll, we'll do bubbles and popcorn for dinner on Monday because I usually have board meetings. I'm on the board for Seattle Urban Wineries and those meetings kind of run at an awkward time and I don't feel like cooking dinner. So popcorn and bubbles are, is the answer. And bubbles are being produced uh, by a lot of wineries here now from Walla Walla to Yakima, um, to very sellers in Yakima. It's one of my absolute favorites. Um, Wilbur, who I just mentioned, they just uh, bottled the sparkling Nebbiolo. I bought a bottle the other day. I haven't had it yet, but I bet it's delicious. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. So, so just there's so many options. It's hard to limit it. I know, but that's that's half the fun of this this show is I get to ask those questions. They're next one. They're simple, but they're next one possible to answer. You know. <laughs> what? I, I'm not going to ask you who's your favorite winery and all of these things. I'm not going to ask you anything like that. But I am going to ask you. Who currently, and this, 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 the next time we talk, this list, this, this, this answer could change. It's completely okay. But currently, you've mentioned a couple, like you said, Natchez Heights. Um, who's out there doing interesting things with wine right now that the public might not know about? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, so, Wilbert, who I just mentioned, he actually, uh, Paul Beveridge is, uh, the winemaker owner there, he's doing cool things. Like I say, he's got those really out there varieties that we don't see a lot of. And he had the first vineyard in the state to be certified biodynamic and organic. He's also got fruit orchards out there. 
and he's got a distillery. So like he takes all the, when he, after he presses off the grapes for wine, mm -hmm. he then makes grappa from all the grape skins. And then he also distills uh, the other fruits he has there into brandies and such. What do you mean by biodynamic? Biodynamic is a very interesting approach to farming. Um, some call it kind of a little woo-woo <laughs> farming. Okay. Um, it relies on um, uh, very much paying attention to uh, the phases of the moon mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, people plant, uh, they take cow horns, put dung in there, cow dung and then bury that. And um, there are all these different teas that can be made to spray um, the vines to prevent pests and disease from spreading among the vines. Um, so it's farming without synthetic um, herbicides, without mm -hmm. synthetic pesticides. Um, but it's really interesting because I've talked to, when I interview people for the Slow Wine Guide, which is one of the books I contribute to, mm -hmm. you ask any two people like what it means to them and everyone has a different answer. Some of them it's about, you know, it's creating wine with soul or it's, you know, farming with love. Mm -hmm. Someone actually called it happiness farming. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting. So all I can take away is the cow horns with dung thing. I'm not sure how that <laughs> pertains to happiness or soul, but in all seriousness, I mean, that's just, I'm sorry. That was a very strange thing. Do you know what is the, what's the rational thought here for putting dung in a cow horn and burying it? What, what is that? What is that going to do? It's good for the earth. So it's, you know, when you right. use like all these synthetic pesticides and right so forth it kind of the earth loses a lot of nutrients in that yes and so uh you know the cow dung and it's like a form of fertilizer um and so it's all about you know keeping um you know all the nutrients going um but why the horn i mean that's the part that's throwing me is the horn gonna the horn's not gonna break down very quickly is it or there's actually a part, a, a time when they dig it back up. Okay. And okay. then whatever has happened to that, then they they spread the okay. stuff around. All right. Okay. Well, I mean, no, it's just, that's just, I mean, first off, bio, biodynamic was a phrase I've, I'm not familiar with. And then you'd throw in a cow horn with dung in it. And I'm like, huh, okay. I, get, I know, and I've got I, like all the technical language down, don't I? <laughs> no, no, but see, I get the whole, I get the whole premise though of of trying to um, nutrients and and protection, if you will, not being a chemical because the chemicals do leach everything out of the soil, and so there's there's organic things that we can do to bring back um, the quality of the soil that we're trying to grow things in or control the soil and than to try to manage pests. I, I, all that's great. It's just, and I've never heard of it phrased as biodynamic. So that's, that's kind of interesting. And then, like I said, the cow horn and um, just, you just, <laughs> I'm fixated on that. So great uh, imagery, right? Yeah. I'm like a 14 year old. I'm just like fixated on this. It is now it's going to be a joke the rest of the episode. No. So, so,
so this this winery is is doing kind of more non-traditional more cutting edge types of um you said the grapes that they're growing are not commonplace for the area things like that that's that's pretty fascinating and you, and you obviously like you obviously like the finished product Oh so. yeah, his wines are great. Okay. But it's interesting though because like biodynamics, I mean that goes way back. Okay. But um the majority of uh farming here in Washington sadly is conventional farming. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm asking you to be the spokesperson for Washington State in wines right now, which is an un- completely unfair thing and you 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 didn't know what you're getting into. <laughs> but approximately, do you know approximately how many acres of grapes are being grown in the state right now? Oh, the acreage, I, I don't know off the top of my head. My husband can do that. He's an accountant. He can remember numbers in his head really well. Gotcha. I can tell you there are over a thousand wineries in the state. So there's, there's over a thousand wine. Okay. Them. So I I heard the stat that there was like 130 in Walla Walla, which seems plausible because when you go into downtown Walla Walla, there's a winery, just like there's a Starbucks in downtown Seattle every three feet. There's a winery every three feet in downtown Walla Walla. Um, so I, I have no problem envisioning 100, 100 plus wineries in the Walla Walla. I really don't have a problem envisioning 1,000 wineries, frankly, in the state of Washington. Where are they primarily? Are they primarily in eastern Washington, central, you know, where... It's like, I don't think of wineries. I mean, I know they're everywhere. I mean, there's one in Westport, <laughs> but primarily is, are the bulk of them in Eastern Washington? Exactly. Yeah. They're on the other side of the Cascades. Right. Cause the climate there is so much more conducive to grape growing. Right. And but we do have some wineries here in the Puget Sound AVA and they're growing some really lovely, cool climate white wines. Um, mm-hmm. Sigarebe is a variety that uh, I really fell in love with when I was in wine school. Mueller Turgat, they're very aromatic grapes, very, mm-hmm. very pretty. And um, Betsy Wittick over on um, in Bainbridge, Bainbridge Vintners, um, she's farming with a horse um, and she's teaching other uh, people in the uh, region to to farm, mm-hmm. not just grapes, but, you know, agriculture right. in general, um, just doing great, great things. But yeah, there's not a lot of, if people want to grow red grapes, you kind of need to go to the other side of the mountains where it's warmer. We need that, that hot weather to bring my, okay. So thousand wineries, give or take. You know, whatever, because that probably has changed by the time we're done with this episode. Two of two have opened <laughs> and one is closed. We just don't know. How? So when I think of wines in Washington State, what I'm aware of is that, like, when I was in college in the early '80s, Chateau Saint Michel became prevalent. It was it was a name you heard, okay. And as a non-wine person, that was probably my first awareness of Washington wines. Okay. I know there was other wineries, but I just didn't know about them. So I kind of think of Chateau Saint-Michel as kind of the, the granddaddy of Washington's wine industry. Sure. I don't know that that's a fair statement to make for them or not, but 
they certainly they certainly captured the public's attention. You know, okay. Yeah, they certainly helped put us on the map for sure. Kind of just like Starbucks kind of put coffee on the map as well. You know, I mean, uh, you wouldn't buy a five dollar cup of coffee from a little shack on the side of the road without going to Starbucks and Starbucks trailblazing that. And I think Chateau-Saint-Michel was a trailblazer for wine in our state and encouraged people to get out there and start doing their own stuff. So these thousand wineries, most of them are probably under 10 years old. Would, would that be accurate? And, um, and just, just a random sample size or Probably. Okay. Right now, though, we're also seeing a lot of um, second generations stepping into um, the wineries their parents started, mm -hmm. which I think is kind of exciting, too. Okay. You know, to see those wineries have longevity. Right. I know here, like, in, so I'm in Wenatchee, and so we have a lot of little wineries around here, and uh, they do they do a pretty good job of... of um, bringing people to the, to the, to their tasting rooms by having live music or, you know, food trucks show up. I mean, things like that. So since I'm a music nut, we'll go a lot of times I'll go to these, these places and go up to Chelan and there's a lot of wineries up in Chelan. Oh yeah. But what I don't understand about the Chelan thing is there's not that many grapes being grown up there though. Are there? Uh, there are some. Uh, I actually had the pleasure of going to visit Hard Road Ho last year to interview for the Slow Wine Guide. Mm -hmm. um, and I love what they're doing because in their great growing, they're very, very cognizant of the fact that anything they put in the vineyard will end up going down into the lake. So, um, you know, they're again, pesticide free. Um, and they were like pioneers in that in that area um they're planting more grapes um but yeah i think a lot of wineries there also um get grapes from other areas and bring them in um but also cardis winery uh they've got a few grapes actually right in front of their tasting room there and they're really cool varieties so they've got Pickardin, which you just you don't see anywhere else in Washington. Never and they're doing a sparkling claret blanche. And as I said, I love bubbles, right? Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh my God, I have to have that because I haven't seen that anywhere else. <laughs> okay. And that, that winery is, is that in Manson? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're right off the, the road. They're on the way up as you're going up the lake. Okay. Yeah, they're actually, uh, they just opened a tasting room in Soto Urban Works here in Seattle. Okay. Gonna ask you an impossible question. Oh no. Your I I I always love it's not that I'm trying to put guests on the spot and ask like I want you to say this is my favorite and it, it's so that somebody goes, but that they don't like this. Like, okay. What is your for you? I, I kind of asked you this variation earlier, but I'm just gonna go specifically. Is there a is there a grape that you gravitate towards? Oh my gosh. I like the less common things for the most part. Okay. Um, so like, as I was just talking about, you know, Clara Blanche, I was like, oh my God, I have to have that, you know, cause I just don't see that anywhere else. Right. So when I see someone doing something really different, I'm, I'm just like, oh, I love that. Okay. <laughs> um, but in, in terms of like taste profile, I kind of like, 
like right now I lean towards like the spicy wines. So like Morved is something I really am drawn to. Um, Kevin White Winery does a really, really great one that I love. And his price points are uh, less than you see a lot of other places. So that's, you know, something that really uh, lands on our table quite a bit. Okay. Just the opposite. Is there a grape that you, for your own palate, you don't care for that might be popular? <laughs> and that's what I know. Oh um, what was the, the what was world that? is going to hate me for this, but I'm not a big Cabernet Sauvignon fan. <laughs> okay, no. So look, here's the thing. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to make this controversial or anything like that. I do think it's like, for example, as I've said many times, I love coffee. Right. I'm not a fan of coffees from Africa. I don't like the flavor profile. It's just, it's just not for me. I, and, and I think yeah, it's completely it's, okay to say that. It's not just the flavor profile. It's more that, you know, as I mentioned, we're wine with food people and it's got more, I think, to do with the way we eat. Mm -hmm. You're like, I'm not a big meat eater. My husband kind of is, but, right. um, you know, there's that whole steak and Cabernet Sauvignon thing. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's just not my jam at okay. all. I'd rather have, you know, uh, you know, crab cakes and Chardonnay. Or okay. No, see, that's, <laughs> no, it's just, it's, it, and here's the thing that, that I do realize about, about wine is that there is probably something for everybody. Mm -hmm. If you take the time to try it, what I, I find wine to be intimidating for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, it ha can have a bit of a elitist attitude about it. Oh, okay. for sure. Okay. It doesn't have to, but it, it can have. And then the problem is if I can't pronounce it, I'm really going to be uncomfortable to order it. Yeah. And I so, know. and so when you're, you're throwing out all these grape varieties and I'm like, yeah, that might be interesting. I don't know that I'm going to be able to be able to say it correctly. So I'm probably going to say, you know, can I have a Budweiser? Um, and so I think in that, that's just me. That's, that's my, my personal, you know, but if somebody were to say, Hey, try this. And I'd be like, Oh, what is this? And, and you give me some grape variety that is only grown with dung and cow horns on an eastern facing slope at a certain you know i'll be like oh this is really cool this is tasty i like this and and then i'm i'm open to it so as a marketer for wineries how do you try to help them position their product for the market that they're trying to get to i know it's Different for each one, but I work with uh, one winery called the Amsel Cellars, mm -hmm. and she's really great about just meeting people where they're at. So we just do a lot of stuff where we play off of what's popular at the moment. She's also got a great line of wine she calls, um, it's a tribute to mythology, basically. Okay. So she does a Syrah that's fermented in these a giant concrete uh, tank, and uh so she riffed off of that and calls the wine Medusa because concrete, you know, get it? Yeah. Medusa turns people to stone when I, I get it, but I, I'm struggling with 
I think you're just going to move me off the cow horn thing with this one. Um, <laughs> fermenting in concrete? Yeah, it's a big trend right now in winemaking. It's kind of funny. That one winemaker told me, he's like, because I have a lot of challenges, you know, convincing people that marking is really special. And he goes, winemakers are so weird. They'll spend like, you know, $150,000 on a tank, a concrete tank they have shipped from France, and they won't spend $50 on marketing. <laughs> and it's true. Okay, so... I'm, we're, we're just going to stop and you have to, I'm sorry, I'm putting you on the spot because, well, you brought up the concrete tank. First off, I, I first off, I, my brain, I think of concrete and I think of it as being kind of porous and I think of the wine kind of leach. What is it leaching? I mean, leach is not the right word, but what characteristics does concrete impart on, on wine? Well, one of, a lot of them are shaped like eggs. They're okay. called nonblots. Okay. And um, they say that the shape of that encourages the wine to move around inside the vessel in such a way that it keeps stirring the lees. So the lees are, you know, the dead particles okay. um, that kind of fall off in the winemaking process. And that adds richness and texture to the wine. How big are and these? Hmm? How, how big are these vessels? There, I've seen huge ones. And then there's some like smaller clay amphora as well. Um, so, I mean, some of them you have to climb up on a ladder to get to the top of. So you said you, earlier, you said that they're being imported from France. Um, mm -hmm. There are what... some made here in the States from what I understand, but they're aligned with plastic. So winemakers don't like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is okay. Hmm. <laughs> and I, the amphora, I, those are kind of something that go back to you, like when wine was originally being made. So I think people are kind of drawn to that as well because it feels a little historical, you know? Okay. So we're going to go back to, to the Medusa <laughs> and she's named it because it turns people to stone. What else does she do? I mean, her other currently what 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 else does she have what else what other naming convention is she using uh so there are the fates and mm -hmm. the furies okay yeah and you know like i say she she just she meets people where they're at so like uh one of her big things she started partnering with a local cheesemonger uh rachel lucas who i love and uh so mary has at damsel sellers has uh, cheese cases in each of her two tasting rooms and Rachel procures these great artisan cheeses because like a lot of the cheese tastings you do when you get to wineries it's just like you know stuff out of a little plastic container and it's you know there you are drinking this wine that someone spent so much time crafting and then here's like kind of a mass-produced product that's being served with it, and it just doesn't make sense so right. rachel brings the two together and you know i think when you have wine and cheese together people just really love that and you know that's another way to meet consumers where they're at where are her two tasting rooms at uh so uh she's got one in artisan hill in woodenville and then this weekend, actually, she just opened her second one in the Hollywood district of Woodenville, which is right near uh, where Purple Wine Bar is. Okay. 
I mean, you can't go wrong with cheese, so. Oh man, it is the best cheese. Uh, we had some truffle cheese there and uh, and you can buy like wedges to take home, which is what, of course, I always end up doing. <laughs> okay. Who else is doing some interesting things right now? What, what, what other, tr- let me, let me, let me rephrase that. What other trends are you seeing in, in winemaking in Washington state? Are there any trends that you're finding kind of interesting that's going on right now? In winemaking or in the tasting rooms? Let's go both, actually. <laughs> let's go both. Let's start with wine. Let's start with winemaking. What what are you noticing? Because my my very layman's is Washington has gotten far more sophisticated and um, nuanced in its wines than it was say in the eighties. So what what are you seeing right now? Oh, there's so much. Um, there's a trend towards lower alcohol, which we're also seeing like the younger generation lean into quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a trend towards less new oak. Um, and, you know, for me, that's a great thing because uh, like, I remember the first time I went wine tasting in Walla Walla and there were all these big red wines. And they'd all been aged in these new oak barrels. And you really just end up tasting the oak, or at least I do okay. when I experience something like that. And I felt like the inside of my mouth was just like ripped apart. And <laughs> okay. All right. So now we see more winemakers using these different vessels, like, you know, the clay and the stone and neutral barrels that have been used multiple times. And so, you know, you're able to taste more of the great characteristics rather mm-hmm. than like, um, the characteristics you get from from new oak, which is you know, like a lot of vanillin, a lot of um, you know just those really concentrated flavors. Okay, well, they're more sharp versus rounded off after the barrels been used a couple of times or more. And, yeah, and the fruit okay. just shines more when you've okay. um, tasted something out of a neutral barrel. Are there any? So, for example, in the apple industry. Mm-hmm. You know, Washington, big apple industry, they did a lot of uh, the red delicious apple, the, I'm sorry, the bane of school children worldwide, because <laughs> it's just, it's just not, honestly, it's a beautiful apple, but I've just never found it to be a very tasty apple personally. Um, and so the cosmic crisp apple has, was developed and that apple is being, it's replacing red apples in a lot of orchards. So they're, they're, this is the new, you know, a, a trend. Are you seeing any grapes? Are we replacing grapes with other varieties now? Or do you see any grapes uh, trending upward as far as more acres being planted of anything? Well, there's a lot of challenges with that, of course, because, you know, it takes, once a grapevine is planted, mm-hmm. you don't like just harvest grapes the next year and bottle them. You have right. to go through, um, you know, several years before you can actually use the grapes to make wine. And so people don't readily rip up vines and replace them like that. And then plus Cabernet Sauvignon, people can charge top dollar for that. Mm-hmm. And so that's still the number one grape in the state, I believe, because of that. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because when you're buying them by the ton, that commands a premium versus, you know, something else. Okay. Tasting rooms. What's going on in the tasting room business these days? 
Well, one of the legacies from uh, when we had the plague <laughs> that I think is actually a great thing is that um, some of the tastings I go to now, they bring out these little carafes. So I get like my four or five wines all sit down in front of me and I can taste at my own pace or taste a little bit of this and then revisit it again later, mm -hmm. uh, which I find kind of nice, especially when I'm wine tasting with my husband because I'm a really slow taster. And so like mm -hmm. he'll be speed along and i'll be you know trying to keep up <laughs> okay but if we have these little crafts we can also share a little bit more like we can get two different tasting experiences and share them and i can go at my own pace and i think that's just a really great thing and it's great for the taste room staff too because then they don't have to monitor everyone in the taste room as closely as maybe they used to have to okay um, and then we're seeing more, more food experiences. Um, you know, like the wine and cheese thing I just mentioned, and then there's a winery out in Walla Walla, um, called Caprio Cellars. They actually have a full-time chef on staff and he creates pairings for each, each wine. Mm. Um, and they're doing a phenomenal job, um. And they don't charge for their tastings, which is really remarkable. Really? Yeah. It's by appointment, so you have to plan ahead. You can't just stop in. Right. But, but I mean, gosh, for the level of quality, it's just unheard of. Do you see, as you call it, the plague, um, do you see <laughs> our, our, our consumers, are we coming back now? Are our tasting rooms getting busier again are they back to levels pre pre-plague to some extent um i think a lot of the these smaller wineries that i work with they have pretty loyal customers mm -hmm. um who have helped support them through all those tough times um what i'm seeing mostly is like i kind of hope that we would learn from that experience that we like to have more space and it's a higher end experience when we do. Mm -hmm. And what I'm seeing, unfortunately, not necessarily at tastings, but at events, wine events, um, tickets are now being oversold. I think people want to make up for lost time and make as much money as they can off of events, which I think is really disappointing because I think if there was one thing we should have learned from all of that is that it's a nicer experience when you limit the number of people um, at events, but that's that's my two cents. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of people, says the podcast host. Um, I mean, who wants to elbow I, people? You know, you're supposed to be at a high end event, and you know, you have to, yeah. you know, yeah, I don't grapple wanna, with the crowds. I don't want to jostle people or be jostled. I want to, yeah, enjoy enjoy myself at a, a relaxed endeavor okay so here's some things i'm seeing and you know you're probably going to hang up on me when i bring these topics up but i have a couple <laughs> okay so i have some questions you, you you kind of elaborated or alluded to not elaborated i'm going to ask you to elaborate you alluded to lower alcohol wines and younger mm -hmm. crowds are are uh are gravitating towards that oh so Traditionally, when you see a bottle of wine, or when I see a bottle of wine, has a cork in it. Now I'm starting to see a lot more 
alternate capping methods, a lot of screw tops at all, at a lot of price points, not just the two buck chuck at the bottom shelf at your um, gas station and, or synthetic corks. Where do you, where do you stand with those? Are you a traditionalist and you want to see the wine in a corked bottle or just what's your opinion? (laughs) Well, as someone who has painstakingly put wines away for years and opened them up only to find that they have been corked. Uh, And by corked, I mean, they have, uh, they're tainted with something called trichloroanisole, TCA. Um, It just destroys the wine and it it's heartbreaking um to me that's not a great consumer experience um so i have no problem with alternative closures um i've also seen glass which i think is a great option um but you know and especially like during summertime when we're out on the patio mm-hmm. you know we don't have to worry about remembering to bring the, bring the corkscrew outside if you've got a mm-hmm. screw top it's you know easy but you like bubbles so are you using like a sword to cut the top off like you see in the movies where the you know, <laughs> you know i'm not really into potentially hurting myself <laughs> i get scared when i hear like the pop of the cork uh, anyway that every time i'm like <laughs> you're a little you're, you're ducking up. okay so from an industry standpoint one thing i heard was that cork is actually getting harder to source that it's there's a scarcity of cork so that was part of so the that's i don't know if this is true but i heard that scarcity of cork and the price of then cork going up was making it a little more prohibitive for wineries to cork with real cork the corking problem exists so you have screw tops you have i I hadn't heard of glass and then you have these synthetic corks Uh uh-huh the synthetic cork, how does, in your opinion, how does it hold up versus, I mean, can you still, can a wine still be corked using, will it still go bad with a synthetic cork? Well, there are different wine flaws. So when we're talking about TCA or cork mm-hmm. taint being the issue, it can actually, if it's in the winery, it mm-hmm. can carry and attach itself onto other things. Okay. So like, say, if you have a winery that's, using some traditional cork and using some alternative closures for their, maybe their different tiered Mm -hmm. of wines, um, it can still happen. Okay. And like it, a friend of mine always talks about this, Like it can even like, you've probably had apples that have TCA. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, it's a little bit like cardboard and stuff. I mean, it gets on all kinds of stuff. Let's go further down the con- perceived consumer level let's dread let's go to the dreaded box are boxed wines as i'm asking just as a container is there does a box of wine have a future in in the better industry of it if you will can can a, a high end wine in a box if you want to age wine long term i i wouldn't want it okay that way but that said um there's a winery down in california that's been making great headway and 
when they released their first box wine, it sold out within like two hours. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So this would be more for then a, a wine that is a drinkable now versus something you want to set in your cellar for a few years. Yeah. Okay. And okay. Willridge Winery, they do one that's great. It's in a little bag and they put a carabiner on it so you can hang it. Like if you're going camping, you can just hang it up okay. and you know, okay. fill your glass from that. Um, right. You know, it's great for traveling, that kind of thing. Okay. One step below box is a can. <laughs> I see a lot of canned wines now when you go in the grocery store. There's a lot of cans of wine. As a cider fan, I'm not a big fan of cider in the can because I don't, I, there's something about, it just doesn't, it's not quite right. It's very convenient. Don't get me wrong. Cider in a can outdoors, easy peasy. Love that. Don't prefer my cider from cans, but it's super convenient. What's your thoughts on wine and cans? You know, to be honest, I haven't had enough to really be able to speak to it. Okay. I had one a long time ago and thought, meh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and no, that's haven't, fine. Haven't well, see, revisited I, it. I wonder, I see, I wonder about the acidity in the grapes and what it, what it does when it sits in metal like that. I mean, I yeah. know. Yeah. So there's just, okay. But, but from a convenience standpoint, once again, okay. So yeah, and the weight, you know, of glass, that's always a big point of contention, you know. Right. It's expensive to ship glass. And then, you know, there was a real problem sourcing glass uh during the pandemic. So it was also a problem sourcing cans though, too. Aluminum cans were very difficult. Um, there was a shortage of cans for a while too. There was a lot, yeah, anyway. There's a lot of shortages of everything during the during the, the plague. <laughs> exactly. So one thing you've mentioned a couple of times is the slow wine book. Let's talk about that. How did you okay. get involved and what's going on with that? Uh, well, you know, with my little business, so I have a business called Vino Social and I'm kind of like an offsite marketing department for wineries that can't afford their, their own full-time marketing department. Mm -hmm. And um, during uh, the shutdown, you know, like a lot of the small wineries I work with, a lot of my business went away because they had to shut down their tasting rooms and they couldn't sell wine to restaurants and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I just kind of have to cobble together a few different things. So I did some virtual tastings and um, a writer actually who I had invited out to a media event for one of the wineries I worked with pre-COVID. Um, uh, reached out to me and said, hey, we're trying to expand Washington's coverage in the Slow Wine Guide USA. Would you be interested? And I was like, yes. <laughs> uh, and so uh, I got put in touch with uh, the editor, Deborah Parker Wong, and um, the rest, as they say, is history. So now every year, for the last couple of years, this will be my third year writing for the guide. Um, I go out and 
uh, visit wineries. It's one of the hallmarks of the book. We actually go and visit the sites. Okay. Uh, I walk the vineyards with the winemakers. I sit down with them and taste their wines. And uh, each winery gets a page dedicated to them. Uh, so it has a section on the people. It has a section on the vineyards. And it has a section where um, there are three wines reviewed. Uh, okay. So it's kind of a neat little guide. And I've used it myself to to plan trips. You know, if I'm like, okay, I want to go to wine country here, let's check out, you know, what's in the area from the guide. Because if they're in the guide, I know they're not using uh, synthetic herbicides or pesticides. So the, the wine guide is, a, is an offshoot of the Slow Food USA movement, correct? Exactly. Okay. And for the, I'd like you to explain that to the listener who's maybe not, I mean, I'm, I'm looking, I'm on the Slow Food USA site right now, and in bold it says, we don't want fast food, we want slow food. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, what is the essence of the slow food and slow wine movement? They boil it down to good, clean, and fair. Okay. All right. So... Taco Bell is the shining example then of the slow food. <laughs> no, uh, sorry, I kid. I, I think it's it's amazing, and I haven't looked at the guide, the wine guide. Um, so your your website says you hit seventeen winemakers in Washington and Oregon. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a tough job, and not everyone makes it to the guide. I mean, it's actually that was a real eye-opener for me when I started working with the guide and reaching out to wineries and saying, hey, I noticed on your website, you say you do all these sustainable things. I'd love to talk to you about that. Mm -hmm. And I either get crickets, which to me is very telling. Okay, okay. <laughs> Makes me think the worst, like, okay, they're not even not doing sustainable stuff. They're doing stuff they really shouldn't. Okay. <laughs> uh, or, you know, they get back and they say, yeah, we don't qualify. So, okay. uh, yeah. How, how long did it take you to visit the 17 wineries? How long are you, when you go there and you're walking the vineyard and you're, you're talking to the team and you're, you're sampling the products, how long are you at a winery on, on an average? <laughs> well, you know, out of respect for their time, mm -hmm. you know, we we try to to keep it brief. Um, but actually, uh, when I sit down with some of these folks, some people want to taste me through like their whole lineup and right. spend a lot of time with me. So, <laughs> you know, it, anywhere from like twenty to thirty minutes at the minimum okay. uh, to hours. Okay. That's that's fine. You've you've also done a little bit of writing for our website. You you did something on Pioneer yeah. Square, um, and I haven't been in Pioneer Square in a number of years, so I was surprised that there was as many opportunities there um, as there are. That was kind of a pleasant surprise. Also, West Seattle. I don't think if West Seattle is a, a is a uh, booming wine center for some reason. Um, yeah, again. actually, and you know the wineries out there. Uh, Pine Lake Cellars, uh, when I visited them this summer, was the first time I got to see their spot because I kind of didn't want to go to West Seattle when the bridge was closed. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> but they have got 
the greatest setup they've got. And again, I think this is one of those great benefits to come from COVID. They set up all these little tasting nooks outside with all these different, um, you know, fireplaces and such. So you can taste outside there year round, which I think is a great Northwest experience. Mm-hmm. You know, if you haven't been, you know, wine tasting outside, then you really haven't been doing the Northwest right. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely correct. <laughs> so questions I love to ask my guests. I, so I'm going to, I'm going to ask my traditional question. But I've got a variation follow up immediately for you. I love coffee. So where's a great place in, in your area of the world that I should go and try coffee? You know, we're fans of Uptown Espresso here okay. in our little neighborhood. Um, okay. We don't have a lot of options in our neighborhood, but I like them because, you know, it's the home of the velvet foam. Okay. I like a cappuccino with nice foam on it. Okay. <laughs> so then the, the, the variation of that question for you is where's a place to go and have a glass of wine in your area? Where's a, a fun little place to just go and, you know, sit down, have a glass of wine, chat with a friend? Oh gosh, just one. <laughs> you can, uh, no, I asked for one, but you know, we'll let you cheat. Give me, give me a couple of suggestions. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a little bit more parameter that for the wine novice, I might've made huh. that harder for you. I don't know. That does make it harder for okay, me. Then, then go, t- take it. I don't want to make it hard. So give me a cup. Give but me you a know, cup. a lot of the tasting rooms, you can go and order a glass of wine instead right. of it tasting too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's always, always that option. Right. But in, in your area of the, of the, of the world, where's a, where's a couple of places? Drop some Gosh. names. Sadly, some places closed during, you know, um, gosh, for us, it's always like a foray to the, the tasting rooms. Um, but there is a great place, uh, in Madison Valley called Sorrel. Okay. And, uh, he's dedicated that place to Washington wine. He kind of calls it his love letter to Washington wines and his food is amazing. And he meant to start out as a wine bar. Um, and he still has like part of the, the place as a wine bar. Um, but he also does great tasting menus and pizza night, pop-up pizza nights and fun stuff like that. But, um, that's usually where we go. if We're going to want to go out. And about okay all right gonna ask you to build an itinerary for me i'm gonna spend a weekend in walla walla where should give me some no, i don't want to say where but there's because there's with over 100 wineries you're going to leave a bunch <laughs> off we know that but are there some in walla walla that you th- think are kind of like they do something really cool or really well like it's a great great experience oh there's just there's so many um i always go see devison vintners because they have a real soft spot in my heart i used to work with the mind maker peter devison mm-hmm. and he and his wife kelsey um this is their their venture and um uh peter's i worked with him for for like five years and i just have so much respect for 
for what he does. You know, I've, he just, he takes such great care in his winemaking. And when you go and taste with them, you taste with them. Like they don't have staff. Oh. You taste with, yeah. See, that's cool. See, that's a cool, that's a cool angle. I mean, you see, that's, that's the type of stuff that I find very, cause that doesn't scale. I like yeah. that. I like that. Okay. So that's yeah, a great suggestion. Very, very cool. Give me another one. It doesn't have to be uh, like, quite like so, that, but you know. Yeah. Caprio sellers. They're, mm-hmm. they're the ones who do that food experience. I mean, right. just bar none. That's just fantastic. Okay. Uh, Grow grain is one I'm a big fan of. Um, again, like the lighter alcohol wines. Sparkles, they do a pet nat lemberger that's really oh, cool. Wait, please repeat that. A pet nat lemberger. <laughs> so it's a sparkling wine made in the the old school method. Okay. Where it just goes through like a fermentation in the bottle, uh, and it hasn't been discoursely used usually still see some little sediment floating around in there. Uh, they get the fruit from Kiona Vineyards, which is one of, um, gosh, one of the stalwarts of Red Mountain, okay. uh, but the best regions in our, in our state. And um, it's just, it's fun. Okay. All right. <laughs> he does a skin contact semillon, which is a white wine, which when you get extended skin contact, it kind of makes it a little bit more like a red wine style. So it's got a little more heft to it, which okay. um, it reminds me of wines I tasted when I was traveling in Slovenia. So it kind of brings back a little travel memory for me. He's just, he's just doing really cool stuff. Okay. Not a Washington state question, but you said Slovenia. So where else in the world have you traveled and enjoyed wine? Oh, gosh. Um, I had a great instructor at the Wine Academy who led trips. And so I took advantage of that and and did a number of trips. So um, throughout France, I've been to, you know, Bordeaux, Bourgogne, Champagne, um, Provence, Alsace. Uh, We've also been to Italy. Slovenia, Austria, Germany, um, gosh, just a lot of different places. Okay. As I'm Portugal is on one of my, my wish lists. Okay. Bucket list, I guess. It just looks so beautiful. Uh, people that I know that are currently living there, um, enjoy it a great deal. It's, they, they said it's better than you would hope. So there you go. That's a, that's a big endorsement there. All that right. is a great endorsement. So I always ask a food related question and we've touched on food a lot here, but we're going to, we're in your area of the world. Where's a great place to grab lunch? You know, we're kind of weird. We, um, we usually don't go out for lunch, but we'll do like, we love pastries and stuff (laughs) we've got a great little french bakery down in our uh neighborhood called petit pierre Mm -hmm. okay and um so like all kind of croissant and that kind of stuff um so we love that place and then uh during the season when the farmer's market's running Mm. i love hitting up the food trucks at the farmer's markets (laughs) that's kind of hard to go wrong with those isn't it it's just yeah all right. 
my last official question, and to full credit, I stole this question from another podcast. So if they're listening, <laughs> I'm giving them credit. It's a very important question. Cake or pie? Cake. And why? Oh, man. Uh, I'm not like a pie crust person. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> There's no wrong answer here. It's, it's always interesting to listen to people. You're like the fastest response. Everyone's like, oh. and then they're justifying or rationalizing. Well, if I could get this, I'm telling you. you know, it's like, no, it's just cake or pie. And why? It's like, there's no wrong answer here. Okay. So cake, what type of cake? Oh, goodness. Maybe like a flourless chocolate cake. Okay. okay. Either that or like an apple cake. Interesting. All right. Okay. All right. Finally. What didn't I ask you that I should have asked you? Oh, my goodness. This is like a job interview question, Scott. Well, <laughs> I want to make sure I want to make sure that you're qualified. No, I want to make sure that you that we that we got to something. If there was something we unintentionally left off, I want to make we, this is the opportunity to make sure that we cover it. Oh, my goodness. Um, well, maybe maybe you know, where, where I might be visiting a wine country next. Okay. Where, where, yeah. What's, what's the, the near future holding for you? Uh, so I'm going to start planning my travels pretty soon for this edition, upcoming edition of the Slow Wine Guide. And on the way, I want to stop and visit, um, in Ellensburg, uh, Upside Down Wines has a tasting room there. And I don't think a lot of people yet know that Ellensburg is starting to have a wine presence there and i love i just love what seth and his wife are doing there um he's they've got you know that their own vineyard and they've been farming it sustainably and everything and that's really important to them and his whole philosophy and he's always trying to just push himself to just keep learning you know like that's the great thing about all these winemakers that i get to experience they're you know, they have one shot a year. Like a chef every night, they can whip up something different and they have a lot of chances to like get their stuff in front of people. But these winemakers, they have one shot every year to work with the fruit they want to work with. Yeah. And um, <laughs> to be able to see someone like Seth, he's, you know, he's a little bit younger, but he grew up, uh, you know, his parents were farmers and his parents had winery and he just keeps pushing himself to keep learning and do something different every year. Where is the, their tasting room in Ellensburg? Is it downtown? I think so. Okay. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just trying to think. I'm surprised that Ellensburg has a wine scene developing. I'm not surprised that it's developing. I'm just didn't know anything about it. So I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So you're going to go to I Ellensburg. hope it's Ellensburg. I hope I didn't get that wrong. Now we're going to fact check in real time, folks. <laughs> Upside down wines. Let's, uh, so where else are you going to go? Let's, why I'm fact checking you. Where, uh, <laughs> where... <laughs> oh, I still actually have more Seattle wineries um, to visit. Uh, so there's about, a little over 20 wineries that are part of the Seattle Urban Wineries. Okay. And uh, last year I visited 
a fair amount, but uh, because I was on the road so much, didn't get to to quite all of them. So up in Ravenna, there's Eight Bells Winery, who I've been dying to get to go visit. They're kind of off a little alleyway um, in a very unexpected part of town. So mm -hmm. they're high up on the list for sure. All right. So I was going to tease you, but you kind of pulled it out. It's not Ellensburg. Ah. It, it's, well, they, they're in Hood River, Oregon. And well, yeah. They've and Cleel. And Cleel. Cleelum. Ah. <laughs> Dang it. That's okay. That's okay. If you go to Cleelum and you're there, there's a, yeah. uh, a place called the 509 Bakery that's quite delicious. I recommend you take a look at that. There's Ooh, a I restaurant. Love my bakeries. A restaurant called Orchard, which is quite amazing. There is a teriyaki place that I cannot think of the name of it, and I'm not doing it justice, but it's a Seattle chef who opened a really interesting restaurant right in downtown. Well, oh, I, and, are you sure that's still open? Because I think I read that that shuttered or, or he severed his ties with it or something. He may have severed his ties. Um, it was open. We ate there. A month ago so um but what i found interesting was that there was a uh, uh wrapped around this place was a chicken joint where they're serving like yes. fried chicken too it's a very strange combination the, the food was quite good so so that chef okay so all right interesting but orchard's kind of across the street from that place and that's that's a, definitely an interesting little place to to check out in, in cleo and then owens meats have you ever been to owens meats no. So it's a it's a great butcher shop, but they have a vending machine out front where they sell meat out of a vending machine, and I just find that amusing. That is amusing. Yeah, is and, it like cured meat? Or? Yeah, now it's cured meats. But when they started this thing, they actually were selling like T-bone steaks. They were refrigerated vending machines, and you could go and buy a T-bone, and you know. But should you, you? I mean, well, it's refrigerated. It's a refrigerated. It's a refrigerated vending machine. I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking this though. Have you, you know, you, okay. You were in HR, so you were in a corporate environment, right? Oh yeah. Was where you work. Did you have vending machines in employee break areas? Well, mm. We've all seen the scenes we where like people have. are pounding on the machine because the chips are hanging there. Right. And there's yeah. 75 cent back. Well, would you imagine how upset you'd be if your $25, you know, Top sirloin was hanging there and didn't come out of the machine correctly. I mean, that's just that was always that was always what Get I thought. Get your hands stuck. Yeah, to, you know. <laughs> that was I always thought that was funny. But anyway, um, no, Cleom's a great little Cleom and Ellsberg are both great little towns. Um, I think this is fascinating that you're doing this. Where where can people find you online? They want to find out more about what you're doing and the wineries that you're you're talking about. Where can they find you online? I have my own website, phenosocial.wine, and I've got a blog up there. Um, and then I'm also on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at phenosocialnancy. Okay. Which, uh, which social platform do you prefer? I always, I love asking this question because we all like are. are you an Instagram or are you a Twitter person more? You know, I started out on Twitter kind of kicking and screaming. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't want to do it at first, but back at the time there were a lot of virtual tastings happening in real time so like wineries uh would send uh wines to people across the country and then we would all convene on twitter at the same time and share our comments and thoughts about the wine which 
at the time was, you know, you know 140 <laughs> characters or less. I'm describing this bottle of this glass of wine. I'm having. I, I, hmm. Okay. <laughs> but I've actually, I've met a lot of people in real life from having first met them on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I'd long been a more of a Twitter person. Now it's getting kind of, you know, it's a little different. Mm -hmm. Um, Instagram's a lot more work though. <laughs> okay. All right. If I'm honest. <laughs> I I personally find them all to be just exhausting. Uh, that there's great stuff on there, but it's just the the toll that it takes to get to the great stuff sometimes is just just more more exhausting for me than than the, the payoff at the end. That being said, I probably spend time on actually I spend more time on LinkedIn. Oh, do you? Yeah, I kind of LinkedIn's kind of I think I need to lean into that a little bit more. And then like Pinterest, that's just like a time suck. You know, it's like you go looking for something and then all of a sudden you're like, you know, it's like squirrel. Right, exactly. So <laughs> so thank you for taking the time to sit with me today. I thank you, Scott. I, I think what you're doing is really great. I think I, I'm with you. It's not just wineries, but they're small businesses in I'm throwing them all under the bus at the same time, but small businesses in general have a hard time realizing that a great product um, and no promotion means no sale or not or low sales that they need to lean into getting the word out there about what they're doing and doing it in a way that's authentic versus just who can scream the loudest. So I think what you're, I think what you're doing to help small, small wineries is great. And I think it's Thank wonderful you. that you were able to find a, a path out of corporate that's rewarding for you. I think that's, that's, <laughs> that's very cool. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can reach me on Twitter at Explore State. I'd love to hear your comments. You can also visit our website at explorewashingtonstate.com. If you know anyone who would like the show, it'd be amazing if you'd share the show with them. This is the biggest way that we grow this show good old word of mouth. Glad you were here with me today, and I hope to have you listening to the next episode. See you then.